Well, again, good morning. Glad, glad to be together. Um, again, if you're here in person, it's just um, it's always such a joy to gather. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, again, I would say comment, let us know you're here, interact with the sermon. Um, even if you're in the room, some of us uh, recently have done this, and I think it's great. Even if you're in the room and you want to pull up like the Facebook feed on your phone and interact with the sermon, it's great. Go for it. Um, that's, uh, that's up to you. Just turn your volume off because that would be weird, right? Um, so, but again, let us know you're here. You know, whatever the virtual version of Amen is or whatever, you can do that. You can interact. It's good to do that, right? Um, and so, but we're glad to be together this morning. So, today we're continuing in, this is the second week in our series called Basics, and kind of the idea is we're looking at the beliefs that shape our lives, right? Because what we believe shapes what we do. Here's a very, very practical example. Think about COVID right now, all right? Now, this is, I'm not going to go too deep in this, but um, you may see on the news or you may know people that, um, and I've seen it, you know, in Facebook feeds, there's some people that are just like, this isn't real, this isn't, you know, whatever, and that impacts the way they live because that causes them to say, okay, I'm going to go, I don't, it doesn't matter, I'll go here, I'll go there, I'll do this, I'll do that, right? That is an attitude a belief about something that's shaping what you do. The opposite is true, too, that if someone is like, this is, like, I can't even go outside because I'm going to, like, it's going to attack me. If I go outside, I'm just going to get sick. And then you're going to stay, like, locked inside. And that belief is shaping what you do as well. This is not a statement on what anything about COVID, right? It's just, I'm talking about our beliefs, right? Um, So, but what we believe shapes what we do, right? And think about this. Does anybody have any irrational fears um, you know, like, think about, like, maybe, like, um, sharks. Like, sharks does not need to be a fear. If you're afraid of sharks, you don't need to be unless you get in the water. So, like, if, you're fear, if you have a fear of sharks, just don't get in the water, specifically, like, the ocean, right? So, um, but, yeah, you can comment or interact. Does anybody have any irrational fears that actually impact the way that you live, but when you, like, stop and think about it, it shouldn't, right? So let us know if you have that, right? Because what we believe shapes the way that we live. And so we're looking at different doctrines, or that's a fancy way of saying the things that we believe. We're looking at different doctrines that we want to make practical, right? Because the goal is not just more knowledge, knowing more things in our head, even knowing more things about the Bible or about God. Those things are important, but that's not the end goal, right? These things should sink from our heads into our hearts and impact the way that we actually live the way we speak, the way we think, the way we act, the way we interact, and all of those things with the people around us, right? So for the whole kind of series, the basic series, our main idea is this, that our beliefs about God and his creation will determine the way that we live. Last week, we talked about God and what it is we believe about God. Today, we're talking about humanity. So we're kind of shifting a little more into his creation. We're thinking about us as humans, what God has created, and what we believe about ourselves and about humanity, how that shapes the way that we live. And and like I said last week, as we're going through this series, if you want to, this is kind of like really with a lot of this stuff of just skimming the surface, because you can go so much deeper. We could preach weeks and weeks of sermons on these topics. And so as we go through it, if you want to read along with us and go deeper on our website, there is um, a resources page that has, under our sermons page, that has some specific books and resources for this series. If you want to go deeper, even things for kids, things for older kids, things for, and things for adults as well to read and, and join with us as we learn and study. Because we want what we believe and our faith to 
be real in our hearts, and to be practical in our lives. And so, today we're talking about the human condition. Have you heard or thought maybe the question, are people basically good or are they basically bad? Right? It's a fairly common question. I've heard it a lot and I've, in, and I've even asked that question to people a lot, right? Because if you kind of say, okay, are we basically good, but maybe we just need some improvements here and there, you know, better education, better this, better that, better manners, like that kind of thing. We're pretty, we're pretty good, but we just need to improve a little bit. Or are we basically bad and actually need like a complete renovation of our lives? And what does all of this mean? Like some people find it completely offensive to say that people are bad or sinful or that there's something wrong with them, right? If you watch movies and shows and just get on social media, it is full of this message of you are enough and this idea of don't let anybody tell you there's something wrong with you. And actually there's a lot of people that have a problem with Christianity precisely because of this belief that there's a misconception about Christianity, that it is based in shame and guilt, and that it does not help people realize their beauty and value and individual individuality. I can't say that word this morning. I think I still just messed it up, so we're going to move forward and forget that, right? Um, right. So some people would say, like, oh, people are basically good, and you can't, you can't say bad things about people. Like, we are, we are enough. We just need to improve, you know, those kind of things. But on the other end of the, the spectrum, someone could think that we as humans are just the worst, right? And we can get stuck in this cycle of just shame and despair and feeling unworthy and all of those things, right? Does anybody know Eeyore from like Winnie the Pooh, right? The little, I guess he's a, he's a donkey. Is he a donkey? Yeah. Eeyore, right? And there's a picture of him here. Like he is the ultimate pessimist, right? And so like this is the other side. We could walk around like Eeyore, thinking that we are awful, that everything is awful, and who really cares about anything, right? And so you've got these two extremes of, are people good or bad? But either way, what we believe about the human condition greatly impacts the way we live, the way we view other people, and the way we view our position before God. What we're going to see this morning is that there are two things that are true about us, and they seem like opposites, but both are true. And that's what we're going to unpack. So first of all, the first thing that's true about us is that we have been created by God in his image for his glory. That is true about humans, right? That's the first thing. The second thing, though, and here's our problem, is that we are born in sin. So we are both made in the image of God and broken and sinful and without hope. And those two things, they seem like they're opposites, right? But we're going to see how both of those are true about us as humans and what we do about that. Right? So at first, we're, born in, we're, we're created in the image of God. Secondly, is that we're born in sin. And so when we look at all that is happening in the world right now, and even if you go dig through history and see, it's, it's really easy to see that there is a sin problem. It's easy to see that broken relationships, whether that's between people or between like nations on like a grand scale, broken relationships can be traced back to things like pride, selfishness, greed, jealousy. Those are these root things deep inside every human that fractures and breaks relationships. So we can see this on a grand scale, but we can also take a look inside ourselves. And when we do, 
and we're honest, we see a sinful nature. We see those same things lurking under the surface. surface pride and selfishness and greed and lust and jealousy and hatred and so much more, right? That if we're honest with ourselves, we know those things are part of our lives. And so all of the brokenness that we experience and feel and observe is a result of sin and rebellion against God. And it runs really deep, right? All people of all times, we are all familiar with feelings of guilt and shame and fear. And these are all a result of sin because we are born with a sinful nature. All right, so what do we do with these two seemingly opposite truths? Created in the image of God, born in sin. How can both of these be true, right? Because we live through Jesus in the tension between these two things, right? And there is good news. And here's our main point this morning. Humanity is broken by sin, but can be restored to God's design through Jesus. Humanity is broken by sin, but can be restored to God's design through Jesus. If you've got a Bible, you can go to the very beginning, the book of Genesis. We're going to kind of start our journey there this morning um, and walk through some different parts and pieces of Genesis. The scripture will be on the screen as well. But our two major points are humans are created in the image of God. And secondly, humans are separated from God by sin. All right, so we're going to start with the first point. Humans are created in the image of God. The New City Catechism asks the question, how and why did God create us? Right? A catechism is simply just a, a method of knowing and remembering truths about God, right? And so it, it asks this question, how and why did God create us? And the answer is this, God created us, male and female, in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Did you catch that? that why, how and why did God create us? God created us in his own image, essentially to know him and glorify him. So where does this truth come from? So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, um, it's literally like the first page of your Bible. It'll be on the screen as well. Here's what it says in verses 26 and 27, and then I'm going to flip over and read verse 31. And here's what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. All right, what's happening here? Because you can go back and read Genesis. Genesis gives the story of creation, of how God brought everything into being, right? This is, as humans, this is our origin story, right? If you were a superhero, this would be your origin story, right? Okay, that we are created by God in the image of God. And what's it say? God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That like, that word likeness has this idea of to be like or to resemble or modeled after him. And what we see here is God creating humans in his own image. And in verse 31, he calls it very good. So let's step back just a little bit and think about this idea of being created in, in the image of God. What does it mean? Something I read this week said this, 
By making humanity in his own likeness, God gives your life beauty, order, and purpose. Having the image of God explains who you are, why you matter, and what your life is really about. God created you to image him in this world. And so, to be made in the image of God doesn't mean that we are gods, right? It means that we are created to be like him, to imitate him. Some practical things that that would mean is this. God is a relational God. We see it actually here in the um, very beginning in verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Well, who is the us and the our there? It is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. God exists, and we talked about this last week, in relationship, right? And so just like God, we are created as relational beings. Secondly, God is the creator of all things. And think about us as humans. We are creative beings. We're able to think and reason and create. This is one way that we are made in the image of God. And it shows us that we are created to image or show the world what God is like through the way that we speak and act and think. All right? Think about a mirror. Right? I, I thought about bringing one. I've been in churches before where they kind of do this and they actually have a mirror and then like they break it and it's never a good idea. So just, we'll just use these wonderful creative brains that God's given us to imagine. Right? Think about a mirror. Right? Simple concept. Right? It's designed to reflect the image of whatever is in front of it. This is God's intention with us. You and I are like a mirror that he made us in his image so that we can reflect that image to the world. And we are made in the image of God to bring him glory. We were not created because God was lonely. God had everything he needed. We were not created because God needed something or needed a friend. No, this is not true. God, God did not create us for that purpose, but God chose to create us and lovingly created us so that we could know him and bring him glory. Right? And all of this is amazing to ponder. Like I encourage you sometimes just sit and think about this and think about the fact that God chose to create you with purpose, that you matter to God, right? That God in his love made you and I. Think about in, in Psalm 139, we're going to read this, verses 13 through 16. Let's read this together. It says, talking about God, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You were created by God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And don't just let that go in one ear and out the other. When we stop and think about how God has created us, it starts to change everything. The way that we view ourselves. 
So let's consider how deeply, how this deeply impacts the way that we view ourselves and other people. So if we think about it, we are created in the image of God. What does this do or what can this do in our lives? It changes the way we value ourselves and it changes the way we value others. So what do you believe about yourself? Ask yourself that morning, that question this morning, right? Say, am I believing that I was created, that I'm created and loved by God? That I have value and purpose and meaning, that I matter to God? Because it is true this morning, you matter to God. Because he created you. This changes the way that we live. And so pause and let that sink in this morning. We live in a world that is full of all kinds of stuff. Like you just think about like even on a physical level, my guess is that most people look in the mirror and don't like what they see. And this changes that. This changes to say, I'm created by God on purpose for a reason. And then you can take that from the physical even deeper to where we understand deep in our hearts that there is a God who loves you and created you with a purpose. So let that sink in because we forget it far too easily that in all of our imperfections and our flaws and our self-pity and our self-hatred and our shame, we forget this. And so pause and think. You are created by God with purpose and meaning uniquely and exactly as he wanted to create you. And then it leads us to say, well, what do we believe about other people? Do we believe that each person is fearfully and wonderfully made, loved by God, matters to God? Because this deeply changes the way that we view others. It will lead us to love other people and value other people, to be patient with others, to help others understand that they too are made in the image of God. And when we really let it sink in, it means that it doesn't matter where they're from, what their background is, what they've done, what they look like, what they smell like, anything, what they have, what they don't have, that we can realize the image of God is in each person, created by God with purpose. We think about things in our world. We live in a broken world that there's racism, hatred, and all these things. When people start to understand the image of God, it shatters racism. It's the antidote to this because it lets us look at other people and say, yeah, you're different than me, but you are created exactly as God designed. You are made in the image of God, no different than me. We have got to grasp this truth. You and I are created in the image of God to reflect him, just like a mirror. Think about a mirror, and now I'm completely going to mix up my metaphors, so hang with me, right? Because I read this description this week, and I find this really good, right? So talking about a mirror, we're going to talk about a flag for a moment, okay? Right? So think about this. It says, in a way then, as created in the image of God, you are like a flag. And just like a flag represents a country's rule and reign wherever it flies, you represent and reflect God's rule and reign in his creation. A flag on its own is just colorful fabric. Its power and purpose come only from the country it stands for. Like a flag, your power and purpose come from the king who made you to represent him in his world. When creation sees you, it sees an ambassador of the king, one who reflects his rule, power, 
and, and authority on the king's behalf. I love that description. We represent God in the world because we're created in his image that other people would see him through our lives. So, this is completely true about you and I and about every person in this neighborhood, in this city, and in this world, that humans are created in the image of God. But the story continues, right? Because humanity is broken by sin, but can be restored to God's design through Jesus. So the second thing that's true about us this morning is this, is that humans are separated from God by sin. And so we ask the question, what is sin? The Bible describes sin as missing the mark or the goal. Picture like shooting a bow and arrow. Maybe you've done that, maybe you haven't, but picture shooting it and you're either going to get it completely, perfectly dead center or you're not. There's no in-between, right? Um, And so sin is anything other than perfection. It is missing the mark. And everything that God has designed and everything that God has created, God is a holy God, a perfect God, and anything that is not perfect or holy is sin and is separated from him because no sin, God cannot dwell with sin because then he would no longer be holy, right? So this is what sin is. So let's think about where this comes from. Let's go back to Genesis again. In Genesis chapter 3, We have the story um, of what's called the fall, the fall of man when sin entered the world. In Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, talking about Eve, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Loincloths is a very strange word to end the passage of Scripture on. We're going to move away from that, right? Here we go. But you can smile and laugh. That was kind of supposed to be a joke. Thank you for humoring me, right? So we look at this passage, and we have this account of sin entering the world, right? In our Bibles, we're just two chapters over from God creating everything in his image. There's perfection. Everything was as God had designed it. And yet we come here and we have Satan. Now, complete side note, we can back away a little bit. Satan himself had rebelled against God before this. He had said, I want to be God. I want to be, I want to take over. I want to rule. And so sin and that rebellion existed, right? That God created a world where humanity had the choice to say, I will choose God or I will choose sin. And so Satan comes along here to Adam and Eve and God had had put one tree in the Garden of Eden and said, don't eat from that tree. But Satan comes along and he creates doubt about the character of God. He's really saying, God's holding out on you. 
God's keeping something back from you. And he comes and tempts them and says, hey, if you eat that, you will be like God. What is this? That is the spirit of rebellion. This temptation was to rebel against God. And Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation put before them. They stopped believing that God's plan for them was the best, and they wanted more. And it's at that moment where they rejected what God had said that sin enters the world. Before this, Adam and Eve were sinless in perfect relationship with God, but sin breaks this relationship. And what we see then is that Adam and Eve here are the representatives of all humanity. That their sin broke everything. Sin changed their nature, meaning it became natural for them to sin. So when we say this idea of we have a sin nature, it means that it is natural for us to sin and to rebel against God and to do our own thing. And then because of that, sin is handed down generation to generation. We know this to be true because it's the reality of everyone, everywhere, and every generation. So let's look at this, and we're going to move quickly through these, but this story continues. I want to look at how, because we can say, what Adam and Eve did something thousands of years ago, what does that have to do with me today? Well, here's what it has to do with us. I'll show you, right? Genesis chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer, right? They both bring an offering to God. And Abel's offering, Abel brings his best to God. And this offering was acceptable to God. But Cain brings kind of like the leftovers. He does not bring the left, the, the best. His heart was not in it. And his worship, therefore, was not acceptable. Cain's angry about this. God says, Cain, why'd you do that? And Cain's mad about it. Let's see what happens. Let's read verses 7 and 8, and it says this. If you, uh, the, God is speaking to Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you, do not do, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. We're going to stop there, but we get the, the, the gist, right? Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and all of a sudden, their kids do something that's wrong. We see how sin has been passed already to one generation. We see the pattern continue, and if you continue to read through Genesis and flip through Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, what do we have? The story of the flood, that over a span of generations, the earth became exceedingly wicked. But God, but Noah and his family were righteous. They honored God. They followed God. And God used them. And the earth was, in a sense, cleansed of this sin. And so we could say, good, it's done. Everything's back to what God intended. But what happens after that? If you go to Genesis chapter 9, we have a story where Noah does something really stupid. Right? You can read the story, but Noah, we won't, we, we won't even get into it right now, but Noah, all of a sudden, the flood is over. God has cleanse the earth. God has rescued them. They are back to their normal lives, and sin is right there. Why? Because humanity has sin now natural to them. 
So in Genesis 9, we see Noah's sin. You flip over to Genesis 11, and we have the story of the Tower of Babel, which all of a sudden, again, humanity, the flood has happened, all these things, and they come back again and they say, we're going to build this tower, and we're going we're to be like God. We're going to reach to God. We're going to reach to the heavens. We don't need God. This is the, the, the subplot of what's going on with the Tower of Babel. And so you can see, and you can keep going and track it all the way through the Bible. And you can look all through history and all through last month and last week to today to you and I to see that sin is natural to us. And not only does your sin make you a sinner, right? So let me say that again. Not only does your sin make you a sinner, you sin because you are a sinner. I'm saying that about myself as well. I want us to grasp this and understand it because it's just as important to grasp and understand as you're made in the image of God, but you are broken by sin. Romans 3, 11 and 12, and then I'll read verse 23. It says this, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And then verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is our situation as humans. And so if someone looks at that and says, wow, how could God say that? The only way it makes sense is if we understand first that we're made in the image of God, but sin has broken that. And so when it says they have become worthless, it doesn't mean that you as a human are worthless. It means you are worth a lot because God created you, but your sin separated you from God. So think back to the idea of a mirror, right? Imagine if I had a big mirror here and a hammer, right? And this mirror was perfect and beautiful, and all of a sudden I just smashed it. This is what sin has done. We are created to reflect God's image in the world, but sin has broken that. It's like it has shattered it like a mirror, meaning that our sin causes us to be a poor and fractured reflection of God to the people around us. A broken mirror still reflects, but it is not what God intended. The image of God in us is broken and marred by sin. Now this could lead us into despair or hopelessness and say, okay, is there any way out? What do we do with this? But there is good news this morning, and I want us to hear this, that humanity is broken by sin, but can be restored to God's design through Jesus. That God sent Jesus, the unmarred, unbroken image of God, to bring us back into the design that God has for us. Jesus was never broken by sin. The image of God in him was never fractured, was never broken. And we see and understand the gospel, it's that Jesus came and was born of a virgin. He was born sinless and lived a sinless and perfect life. That image of God in him was never broken, and he took our place on the cross and died for us. And so next, the next couple weeks of this series are going to be about salvation. We're going to go deeper into what that means, what the cross means, and what Jesus has done. But what we see in this is that there is a way out, that God wants us to see our sin, like God wants us to understand that it's there, not just so that he can see, like, look, 
like point his finger and be like, look, you're bad. Look how awful you are. No, God wants us to see our sin because he has made a way to lead us out of our sin. And here in a few minutes, we're going to sing again. We're going to sing, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Because here's what we need to grasp about human nature. Because of our sin, because of your sin, make this personal, right? You are worse off than you realize. Separated from God, in darkness. The Bible describes that without Christ we are enemies of God, living in darkness, spiritually dead, spiritually blind. We are worse off than we realize, but... God's grace towards us, his mercy, his forgiveness towards us is deeper than we will ever comprehend. And so, we must realize that we are separated from God by sin. As humans, sin is pervasive and unmanageable on our own. We can't fix it on our own. We can't do enough good stuff. We can't kind of climb our way out and clean ourselves up and patch ourselves up. It is unmanageable on our own. Imagine wearing a white shirt and you get like a stain on it and being like, oh, I got to clean that off. But you try to clean it off with hands that are covered in mud, right? It doesn't work. This is what it's like to try to fix our own sin problem. Sin and our sinful, our very sinful nature must be confessed to God. What do we mean by that? Do I mean like going to a priest or doing something like that. No, we have sometimes an odd idea about confession. What I mean is that we have to come before God in humility and honesty and say, God, I am a sinner and I can't fix myself. It's this acknowledgement, this confession of God, I, I, I can't sin. Now, yeah, sometimes there are specific things that we do that we confess our sin to God. But what I'm talking about this morning is we must recognize and say, okay, come to a point and even if you're a believer, we come to a point on a daily basis of saying, God, if I'm left to myself, I'm going to walk in sin. <laughs> I'm going to walk in my flesh. God, I know that I can't fix it on my own, and I need you. So what do we do with all of this? Because we live in this tension, created in the image of God, and yet broken by sin. And these two truths are not in opposition to each other because they are both true about us. And understanding these two truths and believing these two things correctly will lead us to a new hope-filled way of living. That we can believe both to be true. We are created by God, infinitely loved by Him, and valued by Him. And this shapes our identity, that you matter to God. You're not a mistake. You have purpose and meaning and value. And what that does when we believe that correctly, it brings confidence, it brings courage. We can get up in the morning and say, I'm loved and created by the God who created all things. Like that does something to us, right? And when we understand that, we can say, what does it matter what someone says about me? What does it matter what I think about myself? Because what's true is what God says about me, that I'm created by him. And it means that we can live our lives to represent God in this world. I love that idea of an ambassador, right? Because an ambassador goes to another country on behalf of their country 
we live in this world as representatives, ambassadors of Christ to show other people the good news of Jesus. And secondly, when we realize and embrace our brokenness and our sin, that's a good thing because it leads us to see our desperate need for God, for his salvation and his forgiveness in our lives. And the beauty of the truth that in Jesus, he has made a way for our sin to be forgiven and for our guilt and shame to be removed. Right? Because God doesn't just say, you're created in the image of God, and then come over here and say, well, yeah, sin is broken and you're an awful person. God says, no, your sin has broken you and you are separated from me. But God steps in and says, I love you and there is a way that you can come back to me. And that's good news, right? But imagine if, the, if, imagine if God said, yes, there's a way that you can come back to me. Here's what you need to do. Work really hard, be really good. Don't say this, don't do that. No, God doesn't do that. God says, Actually, you can't fix it on your own, but I will fix it for you. And he sends his own son, Jesus, to take our place. When we do that, we see the power of God at work in our weakness and that any good in me is because of him to bring him glory. And so these two truths, when held in tension, guard us from prideful arrogance, saying, I'm the best there is, right? I don't need anybody. I don't need God. I don't need you. It guards us from prideful arrogance because we understand I'm a mess. And I need Jesus. But it also guards us from hopeless despair to say, oh, woe is me. I can't do anything. No. God has created us and loves us and made a way so that we can be restored in relationship with him. They lead us to a third way in the gospel that of a hope-filled humility that even though we have rebelled against God and even though we are born in sin, we are made new through Jesus. And we understand that, we can say, you know what, I'm forgiven of all sin. My shame and my guilt have been removed. My past no longer defines me. We can say, I've got nothing to lose because God's given me like a new lease on life here. And forgiven me and made me new. And it leads us to follow and obey God with humility, but also with courage. To say, if God loves me that much and is willing to forgive me of my sin, then God, here's my life. Let me honor you. Let me live for you. And I would say this as I as I close. And Annabelle, if you want to come up and we're going to worship together here in a moment. But so those of us sitting in the room, and if you're watching on our live stream, we need to hear this this morning. And we need to know and believe both of these truths and see how in Jesus they both are true and they both work together. But I also would encourage you this morning, you need to hear this for someone else. The people that you work around or go to school with or live around, people around us need this truth to know they're created by God. Whether they believe in God or not, right? They, they are created by God. God, in the image of God, and yet they are broken by sin, that there's, but there is good news that there is a way that God restores us. And so I hope this is helpful this morning, even as you talk to other people, to say, how can both of these things be true? They're true through Jesus. And so this morning, as we close and as we worship together again this morning, let those truths sink in. 
You're created by God. In the image of God, loved by God. But you're broken, sinful, separated from God, unable to fix yourself. And that's offensive to some people. But I think, honestly, if any person is honest long enough to, to, to be honest about that, they'll say, yeah, it's true. I know that not everything is right in me. Right? You know, and, and we recently went through the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us this. It says you're, you're enemies of God. You're walking in darkness. You're broken by sin. But what does it say? It's in verse 4. It says, but God. So this true thing about us that we are broken by sin, and yet Scripture comes and says, but God. That God has stepped in. And many of you are aware of, in the past, we've talked about these, the, the, three, the three circles. And this is really this, this image and this message this morning that God's design, what God intended, was that we would be in relationship with him, that we could know him and walk with him and talk with him as with a friend created by God in relationship with him. And yet our sin has broken that and separates us from him. And it leads to brokenness. It leads to that feeling of something's wrong, something's off and it's deep in our hearts, and it's because of sin. It's the result and the impact of sin. And so what do we try to do? So often we try to say, well, if I can make more money, then I'll be happy. If I can have a better relationship or a relationship, or if I can live here or go there, or if I can do this, then I'll be good. Or the other side of that is to say, like, I don't like how this feels, and so I'm going to run and medicate and hide it and bury it deep down inside all of its brokenness, and it just leads to more and more brokenness. But the truth of all of it is that God has loved humanity so much to the extent that he sent Jesus, his son, and Jesus came and lived a sinless and perfect life. Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay for our sin, to take our place where we deserved death and punishment because of our rebellion and sin against God. Jesus said, I will take your sin upon myself. And it's through Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that we can be made right with God. Now, what does that require of us? Because again, we could say, okay, I really should work hard. I should do better. No, it requires of us faith and repentance that we look and we see what God has done and we say, oh God, I recognize that I'm sinful. And so I come with the empty hands of faith to say, I have nothing and I can't fix myself. But Jesus, I am putting my trust and belief in you that you are everything that I need. And that through Jesus and his death and resurrection, I can be made right with God. And we put our faith in him and we repent. We, ret we turn away from saying, I want to rule my own little kingdom. We say, no, God, you are the true king. And I put my faith in you and I turn away from my sin. And it's in that that we are forgiven and made new. The Bible says we are a new creation and we are restored to what God intended in the beginning. We are restored to live a life in relationship with him and living for his glory. So this morning as we worship ponder those things. Let these truths sink in. Maybe there's 
steps you need to take. Maybe there's things you need to do to help you start to say, okay, I need to believe these things. I, I say them, I read them in the Bible, but I, I need to truly understand how to live this out. And we would love to walk through that with you. Maybe this morning, if you're here in the room or if you're watching online, maybe you need to come to that point and say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I've been trying to be good, do my own thing, and yet I can't. And I recognize today that it is nothing good in me. It is Jesus. And maybe today you need to say, God, I surrender and I put my faith in you. We would love to talk with you and walk through that with you. Let's continue this morning. Let's worship together. Let's sing this song that says, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace. God, we're thankful for your mercy towards us. And I thank you that somehow, God, it's true that we are created in the image of God, and yet it's also true that we're broken by sin, but God, you have made a way that we can be made new. Thank you for your word and the truth in your word. God, would you let these things sink into our hearts, Jesus? We could walk out of here this morning living with a, a deep humility, but with a deep confidence because we know and recognize that we are created by you with purpose to go and to live a life that brings you glory. God, whatever you want to do in our hearts this morning, we ask that you would work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.